0: Uh, Isaiah 55. So if you have your Bibles, um, I encourage you to turn to the Old Testament. Uh, Kind of open in the middle and turn to the right a bit until you run into Isaiah. And then run into uh, Isaiah 55. That's why electronic Bibles are awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, paper rules. This morning it does. All right. So if you're in Isaiah 55, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money or without price. And why do you spend money on him for which that is not bread, and your labor is that for which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Hear, that your soul may live, and I will make you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Behold, I make him a witness to all peoples. Behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know, and a nation that you do not know shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he might be found, and call upon him while he is near, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him, and to our God for whom for He will abundantly pardon me. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are your ways my ways," declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, and so are my ways higher than your ways, as my thoughts are your, or, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but it water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout. Giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so must shall my words that go out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is God's word. All right, I got nothing. Let me explain. Right, cool. Let me explain. Okay, I have yeah. something, but I, I'm glad that I got the reaction I just did. You start, did. Did you start taking now? <clears throat> yep. The normal sermon writing process usually begins on a Sunday after a Sunday. So usually uh, during my devotion times in the morning um, on a Sunday, I'll I'll look at the next week's passage list and choose. And so I picked this scripture from the common lectionary like I always do because I read all of the different passages and either we've done them before or uh, they just wasn't popping. And this passage popped. I went, yes, that is exactly what I need to preach on. So I chose it. Normally there's something in a particular passage that stands out that I think that you as, uh, as God's people probably need to hear or I need to hear that I need to share with you. Sometimes there's a cultural moment that we're having in our nation or our world that this particular passage speaks to. Sometimes uh, it's a congregational issue, something we as a, as a people are, are struggling with and, and God's Word is speaking to it in that moment. Sometimes it's an individual mandate. Uh, or a command, or or just something else that just pops it. Maybe God needs to share with us that we need to hear. So that's Sunday night, and I think I've got it, and I think it's going to work. So Monday and Tuesday come, Monday morning, I'm ready. I'm in my, in my, my time with the Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm in quiet, and I pull out these verses uh, that I read this morning, uh, and I'm hoping that it's going to work, and it's just nothing. It's like you pick up the phone, and the phone line's dead. And there's nothing. Now, to be honest, I've been in midterm prep for a week at this point. My Hebrew midterm was to be on Wednesday, and so my mind is swimming with conjugating verbs and all of these things. And so it's all Hebrew all the time. And so I'm thinking maybe that's it. Maybe all the noise from consonants and 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 verbs and stuff is just maybe that's just cluttering the mind. And maybe that's why I can't hear what God is saying but either way, I'm reading it and studying it and nothing is standing out. And if you read this passage, you go, how is that possible? I'm like, I agree. How is it possible that this amazing passage of scripture and nothing is just flat, it's like looking at Kansas. It's just like, there's no, there's no definable features. It's like driving through New Mexico, Northern New Mexico or any New Mexico for that matter. Sorry, if anybody from Mexico happens to hear the sermon, apologies. This is an amazing passage full of amazing things. How can I, a pastor, somebody who's supposed to be called of God, not feel a darn thing? Even when I read it in Hebrew. okay, yeah, I could do that now, which is cool, but still nothing. It was just like, well, great, I conjugated a verb, but it's just flat. That's Monday and Tuesday, and my frustration level is growing. I'm like, oh, gosh. But in the front of my mind is my Hebrew test. It's coming on Wednesday so wednesday is a wash i just i'm like i'm cool i'm gonna get in on thursday thursday it's gonna come together i know it i know it and i get there so i take this midterm on wednesday it takes up all my effort and energy and i'm just dead on thursday and i've got nothing just numb how could it be i've got nothing what's going on if I sinned somewhere, has <laughs> God just said, "I'm sorry, your uh, your cell phone plan with the Lord is uh, you know come due, and you haven't paid the bill"? And uh, what's going on? Why am I feeling so flat? I don't know about you. I, maybe that's happened to you. Maybe you've just gone to the scriptures and went, "I got nothing." What happened? What I notice is that this is just normal. When you feel spiritually flat, it is not because, or generally speaking, it's not because of something you've done wrong. I remember that Jack Handy cartoon that says, uh, when it's crying, I like to think that, that, or when it's raining, I like to think God is crying. And then I also like to think it's probably because of something you did. But that's not the way it works with God. I don't think that God is specifically being, uh, or intentionally being absent from me in the passage that I'm reading because he's angry or anything like that. I think it's just normal and for me, it's especially hard because I'm like, well, it's not supposed to be normal for me, right? Right. God, I'm supposed to have all the answers. I'm supposed to be in tune with you. I'm supposed to be the one who's got a finger on the pulse of the Holy Spirit. I did a health check. God, search me and try me, see if there's any evil ways within me and I'm sure that there was something in there and I'm sure that there was some lame thing that I had done to somebody or thought an evil thought or, you know, I'm sure that there was, there's stuff. And yeah, end, I did a mental health check. Am I feeling down? Am I feeling depressed? Am I feeling sad? And maybe, maybe I just got done doing a Hebrew exam. I mean, if you were in my shoes, you'd probably feel like the world was ending too. But what I noticed in this is that, yeah, spiritual dryness, wandering, feelings of being uninspired are just kind of part of the human experience. We all feel it. It just happens to happen to me at the wrong time. <laughs> the pastor, the one who's supposed to have the, the rah-rah guy for Jesus, the one who's supposed to pump you guys up and get you ready to, for the week and let's go and woo, and excitement and all that stuff. And you're supposed to follow, because, oh Jake's got it down and I can, if he can do it, I can do it and woo, let's go. It just didn't happen this time. So how do we deal with it? How do I deal with it? What am I supposed to do? Does God have a remedy for those of us who just feel spiritually flat? And the answer is yes and no. You're like, great, right? Down the middle of the fence, just ride that fence, Jake. Yes and no. It's yes, God has something to say to help us in our flatness, in our spiritual wanderings, in our spiritual dryness. Yes, God has something to say. If he didn't, that would be the worst thing ever. If God was said, oh, I'm sorry, you're just going to have to suffer through it and deal with it. I'm sorry, I got other things to do, like main, maintaining the rainforest or something along those lines. But yes, God has stuff to say to us in the midst of our desert wanderings. And no, God does not promise that you will be pumped up and ready to slay dragons or, or, or slay Goliaths or be Peter or Paul or Mary or any of the other super giant awesome people that you read in scripture and you go, oh my gosh, I need to be just like them. God doesn't have a promise to us that he says that his words are going to automatically inflate us and get us to this place where we're like walking around. People are going, man, you know the Holy Spirit and oh yes and, and tell me all the things. God's remedy is right in this passage though right in this passage throughout this entire seven days of trying to go through this, God's answer is right here. When we are feeling spiritually uninspired, spiritually indifferent, or just blah, God invites us to come to Him anyway. Let's consider some of what the passage is telling us. We're going to look at verse 1 and 2, and then we're going to look at verse 11. Most of the times, it says here in verse 1 and 2, which is pretty amazing, it says, Come, everyone who thirsts, okay, that's us, It's you and I, we thirst, we have spiritual thirst, we all do, whether we acknowledge it or not, we are all thirsty at some point. Verse 1 and 2 and verse 11 talk about quenching and nourishing and seeding. Most of the times in my life, I feel like I'm in the quenching or nourishing lane of my walk with God. I come to God and my soul's thirst is fixed. I go to Psalm 23 and I'm like, yes, yes, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil and I feel feel, uh, like my spiritual thirst is slaked and I feel like my my body is nourished by his word. I feel like my uh, belly is made full on spiritual wine and spiritual food and milk. I like this interesting quote it says here because it says, uh, Come buy wine and milk. I asked my friend Kevin, I said, Kevin, what do you do? Because he's got 30 years of being a pastor. I said, What did you do when you hit these walls and you just felt uninspired? He's like, Do what the text says. Come buy wine and milk. He says, Why don't you serve your people uh, wine and cheese board? And I thought they would like that. They would like charcuterie and, uh, you know, buckets of wine. They would probably okay with that, some of them. Uh, But interestingly enough, that water is considered to be essential for survival, but it is not nourishing. When we go hiking, we usually take water with us. Sometimes it's got a little Gatorade in it or whatever it is, but it gets us through because it takes care of our basic need of, of thirst. But wine and milk in the scriptures are really meant to be more nourishing. Milk is considered the wine of infants. They, they drink it because it nourishes and fills their bell- bellies and it causes them to grow. Wine is called the milk of the mature. We are, uh, our, our spirits are lifted and we are sent into joyful merriment in a sense. I think that though I am in this past week have been in what I call the seeding stage. To go over to verse 11. If if my thirst hasn't been slaked and, my, and I'm not being nourished, what's going on? Why are the dry land of my soul? What is going on there? I love what it says here. It said Jesus, or God says here, uh, So shall my word that goes out from my mouth it shall not return to me empty, but will accomplish for that for which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing I sent it. I think what's going on in my life right now, or at least going on in my soul, is that The dryness is not a condition of sin, but it is a uh, planting moment. God's word is being planted in my soul, not so that it can immediately sprout up and I have something to show for it, but rather that it's going in there for something later. I think it's possible that God has put me in a planting phase where he's planting his word in me, like I said, for something later. He says he promises in his word that he will not just get into the soil of my heart and do nothing. Rather, he's, he plants his seed of his word to grow in me and do exactly as it intends to. And just maybe not this week. Maybe these words that I read, well, they're dull and dry for some reason, but they will sprout at some other point in my life and cause to have some sort of amazing harvest. Maybe I'm just in a space where the dryness for God is so that he can put his word in me. So for us, when we're in the dry space, maybe God is just simply planting His Word in you. And maybe that's just, and that's good enough. Maybe that's just good enough. The second thing that I think is interesting, not just a quenching or a nourishing or a seeding, but maybe there's a difference between eating and savoring. There is a tremendous difference. There is a gulf of difference between eating a fast food meal and going out for a steakhouse meal at Elways or Saltgrass or any great steakhouse for that matter. When you go to McDonald's, you don't go there because you're going in there to savor the sumptuousness of the quarter pounder with cheese. No, usually you're going there to inhale it so you can move on with your day or because you can't figure out anything else to make for dinner and that's just what's there. And it's easy and it fills your belly and you move on. One is a utilitarian meal, and the other one is sumptuous and memorable. I still remember when Jen, excuse me, when Jen and I went to Elway's for our 20th anniversary. We still talk about it to this day. In fact, all other meals are compared to that meal. And it was that good. It was. It was. <laughs> in a sense, though, I think that God's word, when we are reading it and when we are in it, there are some days where the meal is memorable, and you remember it forever. I, I mean, goodness, Psalm 23, I'll go back to it over and over. That's an Elway's meal of Scripture. That, that's the ultimate steakhouse meal for me. And I go back to it, remember it, and feel it, and, and just, it, it's, it, it's something that just plays the tune in my heart and my soul. But there are some other passages of Scripture that we'll read are, are just utilitarian. Reminds us again that God loves us. Okay, cool, move on. Fill my belly, move on. In a sense, God's word is food for our interior life with him, but it grows us, it sustains us, and gives us life. But not every meal is memorable. Some meals are holiday feasts. Some meals are Thanksgiving. Some meals are Tuesday nights. Making tacos with ground turkey and moving on because you got other things to do. And God's word is for all those situations, not just for the high holy days or the high holidays that we have. Sometimes God speaks to us in words, in people, in nature, in music. God is speaking and feeding humanity's soul, but all we have to do is just listen. The problem is my expectations are out of proportion. I don't just take it for what it is. I expect, I expect choruses of angels. I expect seeing Jacob's ladder. I expect, a high, uh, you know, to like Paul, to be caught up into the third heaven. And oh my gosh, woo! And you walk around with a spiritual halo on. And people are like, whoa, he's buzzing with the Holy Spirit. And you're like, that's amazing. But most days, it's just meals. It's just eating. You take it, you eat it, you enjoy it, you move on takes you to do some days are just spiritual peanut butter and jellies. Otherwise, other days it's a wedding feast. I don't get to decide what kind of meal I get, but I can learn to accept what it is when I get it and give thanks nonetheless. The entirety of, uh, of Israel's wandering from Egypt into the promised land had one meal, chicken and potato flakes. First few days, awesome. The next 40 years, you probably hated it, never wanted to see it again. True story, I did once eat an entire pint of uh, mashed potatoes from uh, Kentucky Fried Chicken. I didn't eat mashed potatoes from Kentucky Fried Chicken for another 30 years after that. It was disgusting. Even today, there's still, I don't ever want that. Anyways, so there's thirsting and there's nourishing and there's eating and there's savoring but what then is God calling us to do then? I think God is calling us to, uh, to continue to nourish and feed our inner life because it enables us to remain and to return to Him. When we're energized by the living water and the wine and the et cetera, or the bread of life, or just the, the everyday passages of scripture that come into our, our lives, we're able to participate with God in relationship. God gives us his word that we can listen to it and, and absorb it and bring it into our being and nourish our inner lives so that we can be with him. If you notice here in verse six, it says, seek the Lord while He might be found, while he's near. His sustainment of us enables us to remain near to him. Your kids come home from after playing outside, why? Because that's dinner time. And they know that when they come, There will be food to sustain their play outside and their enjoyment of creation. Otherwise, they'll starve to death. God, in the same way, provides his word to us so that when we're on the outside and we come in, we are nourished by whatever it is that he serves us in that moment, whether we feel it, whether we get the goosebumps or we get the flats. Either way, we are filled and we are nourished by him but it's almost never the same experience twice. That's the worst part about it. Can you imagine Moses going up on the mountain, spending 40 days with God, coming down, glowing all over the place, and the next 39 years, he doesn't have that similar of an experience. Day to day, our experiences with God are never the same. They're not meant to be. We're not meant to recreate all of these things. That's why I think God got upset with with Peter when he was like, like we talked about last week or two weeks ago, where Peter's up on the mountain. He's like, we should build booths so you can totally stay here. We can have this kind of experience all the time. God's like, I'm sorry, that's not how this works. Some days are woohoo and some days are just not. And we need to learn to be okay with that. I need to learn to be okay with that. I think there are times when we wander away and his sustainment though, actually is the very thing that keeps us alive in the dark nights of our souls, the weary places, the desolate times, so that we can return. There have been times in my own life and probably in your own lives, when you've said, forget this God stuff, I'm out of here, I'm done, I hate it, I don't wanna be, it. it doesn't do anything for me, I think somewhere deep down dark, God has got the superpower bar of his scripture and his words to us planted in that space in our souls that sustains us this slow burn, the slow sustainment of us, so that when we reach the end of our abilities to deal with life without God, it enables us to walk home. So when we finally return to God, we find a God that is not angry. I love these passages here. It says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord that he might face the judgment and wrath of God and fire and brimstone and destroy them all and blam. No, what do we find? Compassion. We find a God who runs. And embraces us, puts on the best clothes, throws the best party. We find compassion. That is what we find. And if anything, we ought to be saying that to people out there. Listen, when you come back to God, he's not gonna you know, bludgeon you. He's not gonna use this word as a cudgel and just destroy you. No, he's gonna embrace you and bring you in and have compassion on you and show you mercy and show you love because you've been in the hell and he's bringing you back to life. The other thing you find here is that there's this abundant pardon. God is not judgmental of us. He's not looking at us going, well, I'm so glad you're back, but you really blew it these 5, 10, 20 years of your life. I, you, and he holds it over you like a grudge. That's not our God. Our God is compassionate and abundantly pardoning. He throws our, sea, our sins as far as the east from the west into the sea of forgetfulness. That's our God. That's what Jesus has done for us. When we return to God, we find God's most abundant pardon. Not a God or a holy one who's holding a grudge. It's as if he never left. So what do we do? What do you do if you are in that indifferent space? Maybe you're like me and it catches you off guard and you're like, oh gosh, what do I do now? What have I done wrong? Here's what I'd say. This is what, I, this is what sustained me. This is what helped me. Eat, drink, and seek. Number one. Keep your current devotional rhythm. Even if you're not feeling it. There are days when when you exercise, if you're into that exercise thing, when you feel it and you don't feel it. There are the days you're like, I'm glad to be out on the treadmill or the elliptical or whatever, glad to be out doing my five mile walk around Quincy Reservoir. Whatever it is. Then there are days you you just don't feel it at all. And you just like, I hate this. I don't ever want to do this anymore. It's just awful. I would say just keep your rhythm. Keep the rhythm of being with God, even if you're not hearing from God in a dramatic or supernatural way. If you don't have a rhythm, this is a good time to start one. So keep it. Keep your rhythm. If, you, if it's praying for five minutes, if you wake up in the morning, you say, thanks God for this day, and that's all you have, cool. Just start with that. But don't stop. The worst thing that can happen to us, I think, is if we start going, uh, based upon my feelings, that's when I'm going to be with God. That's when I'm going to receive His nourishment, uh, when I feel it, because we won't ever feel it. It's only when we keep on keeping on and just keeping that rhythm, keeping that going. But I would tell you this, is that it's okay to mix it up though. Try a different spiritual practice. If just reading your scriptures is just you know falling flat, Try a different spiritual practice like Lectio Divina. Simply take a word in the scriptures like God's love and just roll it around in your head for a long time and just meditate on that and find out what God might be saying through that. Just do that. Maybe it's silence and solitude. Maybe your devotional time is listening to something. Maybe turn that off and just listen for five minutes in quiet. If you need help with that, I have a book. Actually, Cindy has my book, and you can borrow it from her if she's not using it. If you can't find the words to pray, if the words aren't coming to you, I've got books on, on other people's prayers that are perfectly good. You can use their, shoot, Jesus even gave us a prayer to pray our Father in heaven. Use that, mix it up, it's cool, but keep your rhythm. Secondly, I would tell you this, Now, it's not something that I want you to do, but it's something I want you to remember. God is a bit elusive, but he wants to be found. God isn't just like we turn your brain off and suddenly God is there, right? That's not how this works. I was listening to a book called uh, God is Closer Than You Think by John Ortberg, which when I'm done, I really would like to buy like everybody a copy of it. It is that good. Or if you'd like to listen to it on Hoopla or what's, what's the Libby. Libby, it's probably for free. You can listen to it. It's amazing. He tells the story about the creation of the book Where's Waldo? And it started off as just kind of a joke, but everybody thought it was really cool. And so this guy just kept making books upon books and millions of where's Waldo stuff. And the whole idea was that Waldo's there. You just have to find him in the midst of it. And it takes concentration. uh, It takes the ability not to fling the book into uh, the trash, but in the same way, God is right there. But sometimes our ability to to detect him or to... To uh, be aware of him, it just takes a little more concentration from us because God is not God is not absent. He might be quiet. He might be silent, but he's not absent. And sometimes in prayer and our, our rhythm of devotion, we just have to linger a little bit longer because God wants us to know that He's there. So keep your rhythm. Keep at it, but also give yourself a break. And I don't mean take a Sunday off or, or, or you know, give yourself a week off from devotion or whatever. What I mean is to simply show yourself grace when you hit the doldrums. If you go into your quiet place and you're, and you're there in the midst of, of God and you just and you're, nothing. It's okay to stop and make pancakes. You know, it's okay to stop and, and just go try tomorrow. There's no spiritual report card here. God isn't keeping score. If it's just not happening in that rhythm, in that moment, say amen and go about your day. Chalk it up as a a meal you might just forget, but the, the meal itself will sustain you in some way. Take a breath, give it a go, move on with your day. There are seasons, there are two dry spells. There's January and February, and then there's August and September. In January and February, it's cold and dry and miserable and nothing's growing, nothing's happening. It's usually very bleak. In August and September, it's blazing hot and miserable and nothing's growing. And, and there might be some stuff growing, but there's no harvest yet. I'm finding myself in January, February, and in August and September. The beautiful thing is, is that the planting season is right after that and the harvest season is right after that. So if I can make it through these dry months, see a harvest maybe, or I'll see see seeds starting to grow. Maybe that's what's going on in your world. That's what's going on in mine. And I hope in some way this has been helpful for you. I hope it's been helpful for me, freeing actually. So this is God's Word. and That's what I have for you today. uh, I thought you said you had nothing. Well, I had twenty eight minutes or nothing.